When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to a very special edition of the Talk the Plank podcast. I am Connor Williams. Joining me today is a very special guest, Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. Jim? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so if you wouldn't mind explaining for everybody that might not know what it is that you do and your basically your job at MLB Pipeline. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool job. I haven't had too many people over the years tell me that, boy, that doesn't sound pretty cool. Um, I've been kind of doing the same thing my whole career, you know, starting at Baseball America. Um, I, you know, went there straight out of college at University of Georgia in December of 88. I um, worked there for about 10 years. My family moved to Chicago. It was long ago where you couldn't really work remotely. So my my family, my, my young family at that point, we only had two kids. We have four adult children now. Moved to Chicago um, and I worked, got a job with Stats Inc. for three years. Technology changed. I went back and worked for Baseball America remotely for about 13 years and moved over to MLB um, and MLB Pipeline in 2013. And, um, you know, stats was a little different. We were more, you know, doing books. Stats had a publishing thing. But other than my, my stats time, I've pretty much been covering prospects uh, my whole life, you know, covering the draft, you know, doing various. You know, when I started, we were doing top 10 lists for organizations. Now we do top 30s. But I'd say that, you know, the bulk of my job is is ranking prospects, evaluating prospects, writing up reports on prospects or or features related to thereof. And I still after I guess what this would be year 35 of doing this. It's still interesting. Wow. Like I, I'm still fascinated, Connor, 
by trying to figure out, okay, who are going to be, you know, is player A better than player B? Who are going to be the stars of tomorrow? Obviously, um, the the tools and technology have changed a ton since I've been in the business, since I started without internet and cell phones when I started. And now my phone is, I don't know how many times more powerful computer than what I had when I, when I started in 1988. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I've been doing the same thing for almost 35 years and I still enjoy it. So how, how much of the, how many people go into making those top 100 lists? How many people's work is that a culmination of? Well, in terms of writing them and compiling the information, for the most part, we divide them up at MLB Pipeline. So I have 10 organizations, some beat writers do an organization here and there, but Jonathan Mayo, Sam Dykstra, they have 10 organizations that they either write or kind of oversee a beat writer doing them. But so like, like, and, and I will run my lists by Jonathan and Sam and vice versa. But ultimately, if, if I want to put my foot down, if Jonathan and Sam say, hey, I think player A is better than player B, it's still my list. I can be like, you know what? I like player B better. I'm going to rank him ahead. But putting those together, it's talking to a ton of people, you know, people inside the organization, people outside the organization. Obviously, there's a lot more information and data available that wasn't even available 10 years ago. Um, we have access to Synergy. So pretty much any amateur player or double A or triple A guy, we've got, for the most part, not, not like it depends on how small you get college wise, but for the most part, pitch by pitch video of those guys. Um, and even for guys who aren't in double A or triple A who are in pro ball, there's video. Guy. I mean, I'm not saying I write scan reports off of it, but like there's sometimes like I want to see what a guy's delivery looks like. I can like even for some obscure guys, you can just search on Twitter and somebody's posted video of the you know guy pitching or right. you know, it's available elsewhere. So um, the amount of information, the sources of information for doing those lists. I mean, you could probably I mean, infinite's a little bit much, but you could probably keep, you know, you could probably always find another source if you want to keep asking and asking and asking. I, I think the key from my perspective is to cross check like, like obviously the organizations, I mean, Connor, you focus on the pirates, the pirates are going to know their players better than anybody else. Now they may be more optimistic about their players than anybody else, but they're still going to know the details of what exactly guys are doing development wise, or if there's a setback or an injury, like the pirates are going to, so you want to talk to the team because they're going to have more inside details, but at the same time you want to just take teams word. Like, Hey, this guy's good. And this guy's good. And this guy's good. You want to cross check that with people outside the organization. Then, and obviously there's the data too. Like you can look at, you know, some of the stuff and you know, the data, it, it's not, it's all blend. I mean, the data matters, the scouting reports matter, but like, like there's time. And I think less so because I think the teams have access to data now too, but you're not going to have cases that might've been when I started 30 years ago, where somebody's like, okay, so-and-so's I'm simplifying this has really good power. And then you look and he's got an ISO of like 100 and you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, like back then you could just have the stats, you know, now you can look and see, Oh, maybe this guy, like I'm, I'm digressing now, but like Roman Anthony with the Red Sox who got off to a really rough start in single A this year, but his data in terms of swing decisions and how hard he was in the ball was off the charts. And the Red Sox were like, you know what? The, the, the back of the baseball card numbers aren't there, but he's doing everything we want him to do. Say so promote him high A and he went off. 
Um, and so like now, like there are cases where maybe a guy doesn't have stats and, but you can look at the online day and say, okay, you know, for whatever reason, you know, he's maybe he's had unlucky batted ball data, but this guy is hitting the ball hard and he is making good swing decisions. So even though he's hitting 230 and not showing a lot of power, there's something there, but um, yeah, it, it's a lot of, a lot of information. So the pirates had the number one overall pick this year. They took a pitcher. They took Paul Skeens out of LSU, fresh off their national championship. Just going to hit you right with it. Did the Pirates make the right pick? I, I know that's a loaded question. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think they did. I mean, one, I, I will say, you know, regardless of how it turns out, whenever you evaluate draft picks, for me, you have to look at the time you pick the guy. So if Paul Skeens, him forbid, gets hurt, I won't go back five years from now and go, oh, man, they made the wrong pick. I, I think you have to go on, on what they had time. Now, that said, this was an unusual draft. And had they taken Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford. It was so top-loaded. I don't remember draft where you had five guys who were number one caliber type talents. I, I was going to even say throw Max Clark and Walker James. So I think you could have made a case for taking any of those guys. What I liked was they didn't get – like I, I personally believe when you have the number one pick, you should take the best player. Like, like I don't like, and I'm, you know, I mean, look, he's in the big leagues. I'm not saying he was an awful pick. I don't like, like, hey, we're going to take Henry Davis and save money and sprinkle it around. I, I get using the bonus pool, but the thing is with bonus pool, like, and I don't remember the number off the top of my head. Like, what was the slot for schemes this year? Like nine seven, I think, if I remember correctly. I think it was somewhere around there. It was. Yeah, it was. His, through, you were, you, he was. You his were slot gonna, bonus was higher than any signing bonus ever. By by a decent margin, I think by like one point three million dollars yeah. coming into the year. So you weren't going to spend all the money anyway, um, and you're going to have. I mean, when you throw in the extra, now granted, they didn't spend all the money they could have, counting the extra five percent. But like, you didn't, you don't have, you didn't have to sacrifice. You should take who you think the best guy was. And like, do I think that they talked to different players about how much money it would take? Sure, because you you have to figure out the price tag. You you want to know that. But in my mind, you take the best player. And I know there's a school of thought that says, oh, you know, don't ever take a pitcher with a high pick and. I don't think people are quite wrapped up in there's no such thing as pitching prospect. But to me, the reason I would take Paul Skeens is one, I, I think you can debate if you want to talk about who's the best pitching prospect in draft history. There's two names. It's Steven Strasburg and Paul Skeens. It's one or the other. And I know Steven Strasburg got hurt and he's not going to Cooperstown. But Nationals won a World Series championship in large part because they had Steven Strasburg on their team. Right. Like, if, like, if you were to tell me that Paul Skeens would have the exact career that Steven Strasburg would have, that's the number one pick every time. Yeah, you take that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you win championships with guys like Paul Skeens. Now, now look, I mean, we just saw the Rangers win. They didn't have a guy who, you know, Paul Skeens isn't a big leader yet, like who just went out and dominated everybody start after start. But you, you can win a World Series championship with a – and this is a slight exaggeration, like an averageish team around a, a, a dominant pitcher like Paul Ske Like when you face Paul Skeens, if he's as good as we think he's going to be, when you get to the playoffs, it's like, man, like we're in trouble today. Like, like we're, you know, like you, you can, you can ride a guy like that to World Series championship. So I, I think he's as good as any pitching prospect in draft history. And I don't subscribe to the theory that you don't draft pitchers high because essentially, if you don't draft Paul Skeens at the top of the 2023 draft, you aren't getting Paul Skeens. If he's as good as you think he's going to be, you aren't getting Paul Skeens until maybe he's a free agent and you're giving him a $500 million contract six, seven years from now, which for the Pirates, they're not going to be in that market unless you know somebody buys him. So I thought he, I would have taken him number one. I know it's always easier for me to say stuff like that because I'm not paying the guy millions of dollars and, and what have you. I would have taken him number one. I, I just think it, it's not just stuff. 
but the stuff's crazy. The command of it's crazy. Um, and like I said, I, I just don't think you get guys like that. If you don't take him with the number one pick, he would have clearly gone number two. And he would have been a Washington national until he's eligible for free agency. And at that point, he would have been, you know, I mean, with the way contracts are going, probably four or five hundred million dollar pitcher. So, yeah, I, I I like the pick. I have no problem with the pick. who did you want him to pick? Did you have a favorite? I I wanted them to pick Paul Skeens. But I mean, yeah, it, I was was, it was it was such a. I said top loaded before, but I don't think that's the right word. But the talent at the top was so heavy. It was there were legitimately like five guys that could have had an argument for being taken number one overall. That's really unusual. Um, yeah, so no, they, I, and yeah. at what point do you think the Pirates made that decision? Because they were throwing up a lot of smoke screens down the stretch. I don't know the answer to that question, I, but I, but. It's weird. So kind of the Astros started doing this when they went to the bonus pool system in 2012. Like it used to be before the bonus pool system and teams weren't limited by money, but you had the informal slot system and a lot of teams, like I'd say the Pirates didn't. And that's how they, they drafted really well. But you've had maybe 80% of the teams in Major League Baseball agree, like kind of agree to abide by these slots that MLB established that were well below market value. And if you had the number one pick, you sit there and you try to figure out what guys would, would cost. And it was more like the team being like, okay, we're going to spend X. Is this going to work? And the Astros, one of the things that Jeff Lunau did that was brilliant, it's not as fun for us reporting on the draft, is he just let people stew. Instead of the, the agents letting the team stew, like, hey, is the team going to up its offer, what they're going to offer my guy, and then we'll tell him we'll take it. The Astros, they had the number one pick three years in a row. And you never who knew who the Astros were going to pick. I mean, you, we, we kind of thought it was going to be Brady Aiken. We didn't know. Nobody saw Carlos Correa necessarily coming as number one pick 2012. And they would, I think the Astros always knew who they wanted, but they would talk to various teams and engage. And it was funny. It always seemed like the day of the draft, um, oh, the Astros were talking to two more guys. And they would kind of let the players stew and like, okay, is the player going to lower his, instead of the team, are we going to raise our number to, to give the player what he says he wants? We're going to see if the player's number will come down and then we'll take him. And, and it's kind of, most teams have, have approached it the same way so you never know for sure if you hear how oh, the pirates are talking to three four five people do they really like i mean they, they clearly you never like all five guys the same but like you don't know like did they let paul skeens a week before the draft did they settle on paul skeens and we're just going to play this out and we're not going to let anybody know and you know if we save a hundred thousand dollars two hundred thousand dollars of paul skeens we could pay to somebody else i don't know when they made that decision i know um I don't think anybody – I'll put it this way. I don't think anybody knew for sure they were taking Paul Skeens until – I don't remember if it got reported a minute beforehand or we found out when they made the pick. But no, it wasn't like it was common knowledge. Like some years, you know, okay, this guy's going number one. We didn't know who the Pirates were going to take. So I, I – but but, it, but they very possibly could have made that decision with a week to go. But then you play out the process because every dollar you save is a dollar you can give to another player. Right. And how do you feel about them letting him pitch? Uh, obviously, he didn't even sniff the 20 innings mark that they mentioned publicly. Um, and he was scheduled to make a start against Harrisburg, against uh, Dylan Cruz. Teammate, yeah, old teammate Dylan Cruz. And there was some weirdness around that with them promoting it. And then he did a TV interview for it on um, AT&T. And then they just pulled the rug on it so i would assume that something happened in between those two um, events 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily is anything serious. I mean, I was I was a, a little surprised he pitched because typically, you, like especially with the way the draft is in July, like College World Series at the end of June, so he hadn't pitched in four weeks. You know, he wasn't overworked, but he pitched a lot. I mean, Paul Skeens was going seven, eight, nine innings almost every time out. Now, granted, he wasn't facing a lot of batters because nobody hit him, but you know, he pitched. You know, he pitched a lot. It was a hundred. I don't have the innings in front. Of it. it was like 120, 130. It was, innings a, it was around 120. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it? I mean, but that's on the high end of what guys pitch. So typically those guys don't pitch. And I would assume that Paul Skeens wasn't <laughs> throwing on the side to keep his, you know, to, to keep, right. know, keep his arm amped up while, while he waited him up for the draft. Yeah. I'm going to make the major leagues out of the draft, you know? Yeah. And or like, hey, I got to throw bullpens for teams. Like he pretty much had his resume. It was pretty good. So, right. like, I, I would assume he didn't pitch a whole lot in between. So I was a little surprised. But I, what's interesting is I, I think, to me, the strategy probably was um, he's going to move pretty quick next year. Let's just get his feet acclimated, and he'll throw an inning here, two innings there. And when they scratched that last start, I don't know that it was necessarily like, oh, like he threw and, like, he felt something as to maybe he was a little tired. You know, and they're like, you know what, we don't we don't need another – two, three innings or whatever we're going to get out of him, even though it would be cool. He's going to face Dylan Cruz, his LSU teammate who went number two. Um, but, yeah, I, I, but to get back to your question, I was a little surprised because usually those guys don't come out and pitch. But I, I just looked at it like they want him to get a little taste. I would assume that he probably begins next year in double A. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be like Strasburg all over again. Like I, I think he's going to – like. Can't remember if Strasburg went to the fall league. Maybe Strasburg went to fall league, which which there's no point in doing that with Paul. It would have been fun. I'm out here. I'd love to see Paul Skeens, but <laughs> well, we're, we're we're not getting him. But um, but I I think he's gonna go to double A, and it may be like he's there for three or four starts, and he goes to triple A, right. he's there for three or four starts, and then Pirates may say, like, I'm not saying he could have pitched straight in the big leagues. I think there's no reason to do that. I do think with his stuff at command, he could have survived. I'm not saying he would have come out and dominated. But like the stuff's so good, and he throws strike, he commands it. That I, if he got in the big leagues, I don't think it would have been over his head. And it's just a commander. Like I do think if let's say the Pirates open the season, like hey, we're 100 percent in, we're contending. I mean, and they could win the NL Central because NL Central is kind of a mess. He could make the opening day roster. Like if you told me he made the opening roster, roster Connor, I wouldn't be like, oh my god, how'd that happen? Like he, I, I would like, be. So. Because I, yeah. I know I'm very familiar with how the Pirates operate. Well, I'm not I, saying that they would do it, but I'm right. saying from a standpoint, he's capable. So anyway, right. I, okay. I think for him pitching was more, he's going to move pretty quick next year. So let's at least just get him acclimated and he'll get the pro debut out of the way. And he he's faced some double-A hitters. So it just will make it a little bit easier to step right in. But I, but I would assume we'll see him in double-A, and I won't be surprised if he's in the big leagues by June. Right. And that, that my conversations with uh, John Baker, who's the head of player development for the Pirates, um, kind of reflected that because he was there in Altoona. Um, he was made available to the media um, before Paul Skeen's start. And I mean, they, they basically said the same thing, that this was to get Paul acclimated to professional baseball. You know, it, it wasn't really, you know, we're not there. They weren't stretching him out. They weren't, you know, preparing him for the September stretch run where, where the pirates were 12 games out of the wild card. You know, they were right. Right. Um, so Paul mentioned something, I think it was in the TV interview um, that the pirates were working with him on his pitch shape. It is, a, is it unusual for a pitcher to 
for for a team to tinker with a pitcher that soon after they get him. Because I, I I don't have any information on how major that was. You know, it was just an offhand remark that Paul Skeens made. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, so one, if there was a knock on, on Paul Skeens, you heard people like, oh, it's not great shape on the fastball. Like, it's right. not optimal shape on the fastball. And, 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 and scouting matters, data matters. I do think in this case, like people were overthinking it. Like I, I've seen some people, you know, that, that it, it's great that we have all this video and data, but now everybody's an expert and like, right. we're over internet and you don't know where they're coming. But anyway, you have people like, Oh man, fastball shape's not there. Or I'm not on, like I'm not on Paul Skeen as much. Everybody else gets fastball shape. I will I, I would submit that when I think you're averaging 98 and you're throwing one one and you're commanding it, it's not like he's just, you know, Joe Boyle, the reds reaching back and he has no idea where it's going. When you throw 98 to 101 and you command it, your fastball shape isn't as important as a guy who's throwing 94 with average or fringy command. That guy better have good fastball shape or that fastball is getting whacked. But that said, it's different than like, – I, I don't think it's – I think part of it is, yes, you want to go out and see, and, and see how the fastball looks. And I don't know if they were – when he said that, if they immediately when they got him said, hey, we're, we're full in fastball shape or after watching the pitch a little bit, it's like, hey, this is what we're going to work on in the offseason a little bit. I do think that's different than saying, like, we're changing your delivery. Like, there's something we don't like about your delivery. And, you, and you've had that happen with teams where they've drafted guys. Like, I remember when Zach Wheeler got drafted um, by the Giants, like he was top 10 pick and they changed his delivery like the Giants. And the Giants did a great job with pitching. Look, the Gi- I mean, Dick Tidder and all those guys, I mean, won three World Series, did a great job with pitching. They changed Zach Wheeler's delivery, and he struggled. And then he went back to what he was doing in high school, and he became Zach Wheeler. Uh, I remember, and this will date me, Kyle Sleeth was like a top five pick years and years ago, and he had kind of an ugly delivery out of Wake Forest. And the Tigers took him to the top five, and they changed the delivery. And he got hurt. So, like, like changing a guy's delivery – Or like if you draft a hitter and you're changing his swing. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. That to me, like, and you draft the guy high, that to me is a red flag. I think pitch shape, I think that's kind of different. That's kind of now, it's a new stage of player development where you're not asking him to change his arm slot or speed up his tempo. It's more like how the ball's coming off his fingers. So that part doesn't surprise me. I mean, and like I said, that would be the one knock, although I do think, it's overblown because again, he's throwing night, he's sitting 98, he's hitting 100 frequently, and he's putting the fastball literally wherever he wants. So the fastball shape, like I, I just I, I got annoyed hearing that because that became a thing kind of lean up the draw. Oh, Paul Skeen's fastball shape. God, you know, I'm not sure about this guy. It's like I'll take the guy, it, like I don't care. I mean, I'm exaggerating. If it was a straight fastball, and he's throwing 98 to 101 and he can locate it up in the zone wherever whenever he wants. Fastball is still going to play pretty good. So, yeah, I it's I don't think that's as big a deal. I, I think that would be the one 
thing you would, if you could make puff schemes better, you would improve his fastball shape. And again, you can do that without changing his mechanics, changing his delivery, which theory, to me, I always think I like at that point, if you're changing guys, deli- I mean, you do make delivery changes, but there's risk about how the stuff's going to play about, are you going to, this guy going to get hurt? Cause he used to pitch in a certain way. Um, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. And I would suspect like if, if, if Paul Skeens had gone back to LSU for another year, for whatever reason, you know, LSU's got a pretty good pitching lab. I'm sure they probably would have tinkered with the same thing. Like, like let's, you know, like how can we make Paul Skeens better? So I don't, how can we make Paul Skeens better at the college level is a very frightening thought. Yeah. But, but, like, but that's, I mean, that's, what's kind of cool. I mean, that's another reason it's cool taking number one. I mean, like I, the fastball shape, like I said, isn't like unbelievable. And so, like, like just imagine if you improved Paul Skeen's fastball. <laughs> like, just imagine that. Like, and, and the thing is, the people are already there. giving it 80 grade. Yeah, the potential's there to do it. So um, yeah, it's and and I do think from what I, I've we talked to Paul, we actually had him on our podcast going into the college season, and then we I didn't talk to him during the season, but I do think talking to him and just seeing interviews with him, I do think he wants to get better. I, I, I like I think he has this thirst for knowledge. And you know, when he was at LSU, he was working with a guy who was arguably as good as any pitching coach in the country in West Johnson, who left the twins to go to the LSU. And now I'm happy. I, I'm a Georgia grad. He's he's now the head coach of Georgia. But like West Johnson, like a lot of people tell you he was the best pitcher. And so like like they helped, they they improved his slider. His slider which was good, became great. And so I think he's into that, you know, he, he'll put in the work to get better. Like, and that, like that's another reason why Paul Skeen like the makeup. Like that guy will do whatever it takes to maximize his ability where his ability, his, his raw ability is so good. He'd be pretty good even if he just had an average work ethic. But I think his work ethic is is well above average, and the desire to be great is well above average. So, pretty exciting. Like, it's, it's I'm getting excited just thinking about Paul Skeens again. So it's funny it, that you mention um, his work ethic because I was because in my conversations with Crab, the uh, the Altoona manager, um, he compared him to Anthony Salamedo, which was a guy that the Pirates absolutely love because of his. And John Baker mentioned this too. He compared Paul Skeens to Anthony Salamedo too, where it was the moment they walked in the door, it's, whoa, who's this guy? You know, yeah. we knew how talented you were as a player, but you blew us away with your interview. Yeah, I mean, like, you can – and, like, you know, we especially make the number one pick. I'm sure the Pirates talked to Jay Johnson, the head coach at LSU. I'm sure they talked to Wes Johnson. I'm sure they talked to his Air Force coaches and – Right. Probably high school coaches. And so you get a sense of that. But like until you actually get your hands on Paul Skeens and you see it firsthand and he's asking, I mean, I'm assuming you know, like he's asking good questions. Like, like people, people love that stuff. Like, like, like I know just for instance, Tanner Bybee, who was one of the best rookie pitchers in baseball this year for the Guardians. When he was Cal State Fullerton, he was kind of your traditional Cal State Fullerton. Uh, fringy stuff, well above average strike throwing. And there's been a bunch of those guys, and a lot of them haven't done much in, in professional baseball because when they get to the big leagues or to the upper levels of minors, they get hit. And the Guardians obviously do a great job developing pitchers. 
And Tanner Bybee like almost immediately took to what they were doing. was asking great questions and like, he was just all in and they were like, well, we might have something here. And he was even better than they expected. So like when you get a guy who's as talented as Paul Skeens, which is rare, that doesn't happen very often. Um, and you add that desire to be great and that work ethic, you have a chance to really have a guy who's going to be something special. So moving on from Skeens here a little bit, um, get to the next guy I mentioned him, Anthony Salamedo. Um, he added some velocity this year. It trailed off towards the end. Um, watching him, because he was, I, I worked two games in Altoona this year. One was the Paul Skeens debut. But actually, just to touch back on Paul Skeens for a moment, I, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, just that atmosphere at that game, I have nothing else to compare it to other than the debut of Steven Strasburg. Because people were lining up hours before the game hours before gates opened they were out there in their lawn chairs behind the home plate gate for a minor league game well olivia dunn was there too right but uh oh i, they, I i'm just okay <laughs> they tried to rush the press box there were some hooligans that attempted really? to yes wow but anyway but no i mean you're right i mean again like i saw so I, I like one of my favorite things to do like, I mean, I love rating prospects and talking to people and trying to figure out who guys are bad. And then, like, probably, that's fun. I love doing that. And then the other things, I like, if I had to list favorite things to do when I'm writing features, my two favorite features are kind of, like, one, like one the scouting of player X. Like, I just did one on Evan Carter and his story with the Rangers and, and talking to the scouts about how they found him. And, like, that stuff, I could write those stories all day. Those are Those are very cool. And then the other story I love writing is like trying to put the guys in historical perspective. And like I was saying, so I did a story on is Paul Skeens the best draft pitching prospect of all time. And I talked to a bunch of people and it was kind of like Strasburg 1A, Skeens 1B, gave Strasburg a slight edge because his stuff relative to his time was – like, like, there's more guys with crazy stuff now than there were right. Strasburg around. So, if, right. if you if we had a stat like it was, I guess somebody does have a stat stuff plus. But if you were doing like stuff relative to era, Strasburg would come. So I, I gave Strasburg like the slightest edge. But I love doing those stories, and that's why, like, I'm with you. Like, I don't, you can't. That that's the only guy I think you can really compare him to. I mean, the other guy who, and I think he was three on the list, is there was a lot of excitement for Mark Pryor. And Mark Pryor was the best draft pitching prospect before Strasburg. And it was kind of the same thing with, with Pryor. And Pryor rocketed through the minors and was in Chicago right away. But yeah, it's, I mean, so that's like three guys in 20 something years. And those are probably the three best draft pitching prospects of all time. Yeah, it's just, it's going to be fun. Like, I think, you know, again, you can win World Series with guys like, Paul Skeens and I and like I know there are people out there like oh I'll never take a picture with the number one pick or never take a picture, you know five blah 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 blah. You don't take Paul Skeens, like you're you not don't find a Paul Skeens every day. And the thing is, like look, like you can, you know, we look at the World Series and Jordan Montgomery pitched really well for the Rangers and he was a fourth round pick I think by the Cardinals third or fourth round pick and Nathan Eovaldi and he was over slot guy but he was an eleventh round pick. You can find good pitchers in various rounds of the draft. Like I think Tanner Bybee, who I just mentioned, was a, a six-round pick. You don't stumble on Paul Skeen. Like, you don't take a guy in the eighth round, and then he boom, presto, becomes Paul Skeen's. Like, 
Paul Skeens is Paul Skeens, and you take him when you get the chance. Or like I said, like he's going to be a free agent. Um, I guess what, like in 2031 or something, if he if he doesn't sign a long term deal. At that point, you're probably talking at like $50 million a year for eight or 10 years to get Paul Skeens. So you better take him when you get the chance. So moving on to some of uh, Paul's presumptive teammates, assuming that he starts in um, Altoona next year, Anthony Salamedo and Bubba Chandler. Um, what are your thoughts on Anthony Salamedo? I know he added some velocity this year, trailed off towards the end, um, but my conversations with him, I was just blown away by how um sorry had my <laughs> had my I did, I did not turn my ringer off uh, here early in the chicago morning so i'm gonna send that to a voicemail sorry about that um, it's all right yeah, sorry about that i mean i meant i meant to but i did not um <laughs> i forgot to turn off the ringer. anyway <laughs> it's all right hey anthony solomon no he, he's interesting i think he flies under the radar a little bit from a national perspective because you know he's not throwing 98 and it's not a wipeout slider but you know that was one of the reasons the pirates i mean those were two of the reasons when you count bubba chandler that the pirates took henry davis number one overall in 2021 and um you know he he's a lefty who's strong he can really pitch he throws strikes like i, I like him a lot i i think i mean you got Bubba Chandler, you have Jared Jones, you have Thomas Harrington, you have some other guys. I think Anthony Salamento for me, and, I, and Jonathan Mayo does our Pirates list, and I'm not knocking his Pirates list, but after Paul Skeens, I think Salamento is probably my next favorite pitcher in the Pirates organization. So what impressed me with Salamento so much, and he's he he'll talk your ear off. Um, he's just he's younger than I am. I'm 22, and he's like two full years younger than I am. I'm almost three. Um, and it was just very impressive how mature he was because it was the day after his start and he had, he had pitched like five scoreless innings. Like he had only given up like one hit and then it, the wheels fell off in the, in the fifth or the sixth and he started walking guys. And when I talked to him the next day, I wasn't able to get him for, for post game. Um, he was able to tell me exactly what he did wrong. And that is, you know, that's not a quality that I think every 19 or 20 year old has. And it's a lot of the reason why as a 19 or 20 year old, he was the youngest pitcher in the Eastern league. It's what got him there. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of things to like about him. Like I said, I mean, I think the stuff's solid, um, but that ability to know yourself and, and, you know, which translates into theoretically, especially as you get older and more experienced, being able to self-correct if things start to go wrong on the mound, like you understand why and you're able to fix it. You know, well, look, we we there's plenty of pitchers who have good stuff and don't necessarily have a great understanding of their craft. And when things go wrong, they can't get out of it. You know, like it's just you, you can't self-correct. And 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 I like that about Anthony. Um, and I also like. Like you, you, you talk about guys who have funkiness or deception to their delivery. You know, he's got a lower slide and a leg kick. And, and like sometimes the guys who are deceptive and that matters a lot because it's harder to hit. Don't throw strikes like they're deceptive because they have stuff going on in their delivery, but they can't put the ball where they want. So it's like a double edged sword. Yes. Hard to pick up the ball, but they don't always throw strikes. But he's one of those guys 
who has a lot of deception going on in his delivery and still throws a ton of strikes. And those guys generally do pretty well. And, you know, and you, you throw in the fact, you know, we're not talking about a lefty, like, like a finesse lefty with fringy stuff. We're talking about a lefty with, with pretty solid stuff. And he's deceptive and throws strikes with it. Those guys do really well. I, I really like him. It would not surprise me um, that if next year he takes another leap and, you know, we're talking about him being one of the top five or ten pitching prospects in baseball. Um, I, there's just, I think, a lot to like. You know, not everybody not everybody can throw 98 to 101 with a wipeout slider like Paul Skeens. But, like, I just think, like, all the ingredients are there. You know, solid stuff, understanding how to pitch, good frame, you know, 6'5", 220. And that, like I said, I, I like, I love the combination of deceptive guys that throw strikes. Those guys usually tend to do pretty well. And I love to compare Anthony, compare and contrast Anthony Salamedo to his now teammate, Bubba Chandler. Because Bubba Chandler is extremely athletic. It's easy velocity. He, you know, the by raw stuff, he might have three or four plus pitches. But he struggled early on this year. And I I think it was because he didn't have that self-evaluation skill that Anthony Salamedo had. Because when they they moved Bubba Chandler off of being a two-way guy, he was upset. Um and I mean he said it when he got promoted to double A that that he had to grow up. You know, and I've heard some people um, talk about how many mental skills coaches they have in the minor leagues. How important are those mental skills coaches now? And are all teams focusing on that? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, especially for these like 19 to 20 year olds who, who really like at 19 and 20 years old, you don't really know who you are as a person yet. Yeah. And I'll say, I mean, obviously you're, you're signing guys out of high school, but it's different. Like you go to college, like if you're a baseball player, you go to college, you get a chance, like you get a chance to grow up away from home, but there's like some, but it's not full flat. Like, I think it's, I think people like, I know as a parent, I always think like if, if my kids were drafted, I would want them to go to college. But you think about like, you get like, especially if you get big money and you're 18 years old and you're riding buses around the minor leagues with no guidance. I mean, for a lot of these kids, it's the first time they've been away from home. Um, you know, a pretty hectic minor league lifestyle. Um, you're trying to, develop personally and professionally. So I do think it matters. And I, and I think that that's some good self-awareness by Bubba Chandler, you know, when he said that, because, um, I mean, look, he was a guy who could have gone to Clemson and, you know, I, I don't know that he was started at Clemson, but like he could have gone to Clemson and play quarterback and he was a hitter and he was a pitcher. So there's a lot going on and the pirates let him do both for a little bit. But I know from talking to people while he was legit a prospect as a hitter, like I do, Georgia is one of my draft states. So I, I had Bubba in the draft. Most people saw him as a pitcher and it's hard. Like the two-way thing, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll digress. Yourself. I think Shohei Otani makes the two-way thing look a lot easier than it is. I mean, Shohei Otani is arguably, why don't I, I won't even argue. I think Shohei Otani is the most talented player ever to play major league baseball. Just to do right. what he did, a high level. nobody's done this. Nobody's done it. It's impossible. But I think he makes it look easy because, I mean, look, I think when fans don't think about the fact that, like, if you're a pitcher, if you're a starting pitcher, it's not like you just go out there for five every fifth day and pitch 
And then you're like hanging around in your hoodie in the dugout for four days. Like there's a lot of work that you have to do between starts to keep you healthy, to have you ready to make that start every fifth day. Um, but if you're doing that and at the same time, you're trying to play position and work on your swing and work on your defense. It's tough. I, I think it's too tough. I would, I, I get with the two way guys that sometimes you have to promise them like Bubba had options. Hey, we'll let you try to play two ways, but I would not want to develop guys as two-way players. I, I get like, okay, Bubba, let you try both. But I would like, like, like the Pirates did, like eventually, like you're a full-time pitcher. This is what we want. But you have to deal, like sometimes the guys, you know, like don't want to give that up and you have to fight it. But like, you know, it's tough, you know, being young and you're Bubba Chandler and you're athletic, you got to repeat the delivery and throw strikes. And like, you know, he pitched well in double, like pitched really well in double A and his one start at the end of the year. And he made some strides over the course of the year. But if you look at his his line scores, like he'll have a game, like he'll walk four guys in five innings, he'll walk three guys in five innings, then he'll have two or three starts in a row where he walks zero or one guy, and then the control way. Like he's still figuring out that consistency, and it's hard to do that when you're a two-way guy. But I think the fact that he kind of understands that is good. Um, and I agree with you. Like if you're comparing him to Salamento, I mean, it's lefty-righty, but Bubba's got better stuff. You know, Salamento's bigger. Bubba's more athletic, but Solometo is, you know, if we're, if we're putting, let's say, scouting grades on polish, I think Solometo's a grade or a grade and a half ahead of Bubba in terms of present polish right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's kind of fun thinking about the fact in a couple of years, it's probably going to be schemes. Yeah, I mean, you know, pitchers are tricky. You never know. But Skeen, Salamedo, Bubba Chandler, throw Jerry Jones in there, you know, Ramsey Contreras. I'm probably forgetting somebody on the big league staff. But Mitch um, Keller. yeah, there you go, Mitch Keller. Yeah, I forgot about Mitch. Um, like, you know, they have a lot of options. And you know, and Thomas Harrington's an interesting guy too. And and they have other guys as well. But like and like I just think with pitching, it's great to have options because we know not everybody, you know, not every pitcher is gonna pan out. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Um, but it's exciting to look at the pictures they have, because I think they have enough depth that enough of those guys should come through. And that's the thing with, with Chandler was that I, I think people are forgetting when they see like his first half line was like, Oh, well, you know, bust, you know, he's not working out. Um, this was the, I think, the first time in his life he had ever focused on a singular thing playing a singular sport. And I think he had to learn how to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was probably some antsiness for Bubba. Like, like again, it's not like you're not doing anything. There's plenty of stuff you do between starts. But I'm sure it kind of drove – like, if you have a guy who's used to playing two sports and playing two positions in baseball and, like, you just have this idea that like Bubba's constantly doing stuff as an amateur, you know, like, like very little idle time. You're playing football or baseball. And if he's not pitching, he's hitting, you know, having, you know, four days off between starts or, or five days off between starts uh, in the minors was probably very foreign to him. He probably had, you know, more idle time than he was used to, but yeah, it's, I, I, I totally agree. Like, like I think you have to cut Bubba, even more, you know, you know, he got big money and was a high pick. You have to cut Bubba more slack than most prospects his age, because this is all like this focusing on one thing is all very new to him. So in 
10 starts down the stretch. He had um, from July onwards, he was seven and one with a 2.33 ERA, 54 innings pitched, 57 strikeouts. So I would say the mental adjustment worked. Yeah, no, like I said, I was looking at, you know, on our site, you can look at that kind of like the guy's last 10 starts too. And, you know, the, the control wavered here and there, but he went through a three start stretch where he walked one guy. And his final three starts of the year, he walked two guys. And it's, I mean, the stuff's clearly there. It's just a matter of getting, you know, a little more consistent. But again, I think, I mean, I think the Pirates, I'm sure they have to be pleased with his development. I mean, he's, he's what, two years out of the draft and he's 20, you know, he turned 21 after the season. So he was essentially 20 years old this season. And he, and he made a cameo in double eight into the year and, and made improvement over the course of the year. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I think that's all very encouraging. Is that presumptive double a rotation, uh, Paul schemes, Anthony Solomito, Bubba Chandler, Braxton Ashcraft, maybe Thomas Harrington, maybe Poe Chen. Is that as talented of a double a rotation as any in baseball? Cause yeah, I'm looking at that. It has to be. It has to I be. Mean, you have the best pitching prospect in baseball and Paul schemes. You and then you have two more top 100 guys. 100 after. guys. And, 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 like, again, I mean, we barely talked. I, I think Thomas Harrington is, you know, it, it's, I don't mean like he's a finesse guy. I mean, I think his floor stands out more than his ceiling. He can just really pitch. And he's got four pitches. And, you know, I mean, in this perfect world, you know, I I, I, you know, I didn't even mention Quinn Priester got to the big leagues. I mean, he's he's got upside. Um, but, like, Thomas Harrington, you know, if enough of these guys come through, we're probably talking Thomas Harrington – is like a number four starter for the Pirates, and he'd be a really, really good number four starter. But yeah, guys I, like Thomas Harrington and Braxton Ashcraft are kind of lost in the mix here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Thomas Harrington, his first year in pro ball, struck 146 guys in 127 innings. Um, you know, gave up. You know, his strikeout to walk ratio was was almost four to one. Uh, I mean, he like again, yeah. I, I think he gets overshadowed by these guys, but Thomas Harrington is really, really good. I mean, he was a supplemental first round pick, and I mean, it's not that nobody talks about him, but like he gets talked about after Skeens and Jones and Salamento and Bubba. Chandler. Yeah, and there's Braxton Ashcraft, and there's Thomas Harrington. Yeah, exactly. What do you make of is Jared Jones a thrower or is he a pitcher? Um. I think in high school, he was definitely a thrower. I think he's gotten better. You know, it, it's that, you know, and he's kind of on that other end of the extreme. Like, I think his pure stuff is probably better than any of these guys. And he, you know, he was a two way guy in high school, too. And his control, you know, these other guys were talking about his control. Uh, it's not better than Paul Skeens. I meant the, the non-Paul Skeens guy. But I think his pure stuff is probably better than Salomeno and Chandler and Thomas Harrington and Ashcraft. And his control probably lags behind them. Um, now, you know, it's kind of a sliding scale. You know, if he has fringy control but solid to plus stuff, like, okay, you can make that work as a starter. Um, you know, he's still – I mean, he's 22, but he didn't turn 22 to August. So he's essentially – was you know, his age 21 season, he's still – relatively young in terms of professional baseball years and experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do have, you do have that question with like, it, it, you know, is the strike throwing, is it going to be below average? Is it going to be fringy? Is it going to be average? You know, maybe, you know, I mean, 
if not everybody's going to pan out the way you hope, but let's say that that the Pirates had more luck than most teams, and a lot of these guys do come through, then maybe Jared Jones becomes you know that multi-inning, high-leverage reliever that you know you you need those guys to win in the playoffs when all is said and done. I mean, you'll get to Pittsburgh before a lot of these other guys and get a chance to. I mean, I, I assume we'll see him at some point this year or. or 2024 next season um i assume we'll see him at some point um and then then you know i think you kind of see how it goes and if he if the control and command aren't quite there for him to succeed as a starter at the big league level and i'm not saying they won't be i mean he's still young but if they aren't then maybe he winds up becoming a reliever but but the arm talent is very exciting i i wouldn't say i can imagine your question Kyle, that he's a i think he's made progress i wouldn't say he's a thrower instead of a pitcher I guess the way I would look at it is I don't think he's as polished as some of these other top pitching prospects in the Oregon division. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Luis Ortiz, um, Rowenzi Contreras, and Quinn Priester struggled this year. Rowenzi Contreras really struggled. Does that kind of raise any red flags for you that there are already, you know, three, you know, either top 100 or former top 100 guys that kind of are struggling at the major league level no i mean it wouldn't it doesn't raise a red flag because that happens to a lot of pitchers you you have a a lot of pitchers when they get to the big leagues and i can't speak for these guys specifically happened to them that instead of like 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 this is going to sound oversimplified but like the message to to guys like a lot of rookie pitchers struggle and i think the message a lot of times is look you got to the big leagues for a reason because you're talented do what got you here but you have guys who feel like they've got to do more. Like they've got to throw harder. They've got to snap off like a, a, you know, a breaking ball with more torque. They've got to be more precise with their pitches. And what happens is it affects their stuff. It affects their location and they get hit. Um, You know, Quinn Priester, I think a lot, I mean, the Pirates aren't going to give him away. I think a lot of teams feel like Quinn Priester is kind of hit a wall a little bit and they'd love to buy low on Quinn Priester. The Pirates made him available in trade. And, and try to turn him into something or, or polish him up. But, he, you know, he's only 22. And, and you know, I, I think the other thing, you know, Ryan Contreras was 23. Luis Ortiz was was 24. None of them had particularly appealing strikeout rates or walk rates in the big leagues, which I think speaks to, one, A, it's tough to pitch in the big leagues, but, two, maybe they were trying to be too perfect or doing too much and weren't necessarily letting their natural talent flow. But, you know, the other thing that's – that I don't think like gets enough credit if that's the right way to put it. It's tough breaking into the big leagues and pitching for a, not a very good team. And you know, your, your, your pirates got off the hot start really tailed off. They finished, what was it? 13th out of 16 teams in the national league in scoring. And so there's even more pressure, you know, if you know, you're pitching for a team that's struggling and isn't giving you a lot of run support, then sometimes that exacerbates. Like I've got to be even more perfect, and my stuff's got to be even that much better, and it just snowballs on you. So um, I won't say that those results were encouraging, but there's 
there's a lot of guys who get up to the big leagues and struggle in their first full year, first full two years in the big leagues. And sometimes it takes some time to get going. So I, I think those guys all still have a lot of upside um, to them. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like if you're the Pirates, you know, how many of those guys make your opening day rotation? How many of them do you let maybe go back and reset in AAA to start next year? It'll, it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out. You mentioned – you know, a team wanting to buy low on a guy like Quinn Priester, Rowanzi Contreras is out of options. If he doesn't cut it on the major league roster, he has no way off of it. Yeah, but he's going to make it. Like, I, I wasn't up on the options. Like, there's no way. Because, again, it's not like we're talking about, like, the Pirates have designs. Like, we're, like, like, could they have what happened to the Reds and the Cubs and, like, things go right? A lot of things go right, and all of a sudden the team's doing better. Because, I mean, they do have a lot of talented players with upside, you know, in the lineup, too. That could happen. There's just no way – well, from, from knowing that, like, Royce and Contreras 100% will make the team. Like, he'll 100% make the team if he's out right. of options. Um, right, of And course. he'll just wear it. And then then if you get to the point where the Pirates are playing well, but let's say Royce isn't pitching well, then maybe you have some hard decisions to make. But there's there's no way he won't make the team. But, yeah, but again, like, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off in your question. If – if they put Ryan Contreras on waivers to try to, you know, option him down. Yeah, they, they will trade him before they put him yeah. on waivers. Because if, because if they he, put him on waivers, get he's, getting, he's getting claimed in three seconds. Like, right. whoever, whether it's the Royals or the A's or the Nationals or whoever has first dibs will be like, I'll to 100% take Ryan Contreras. Yeah. So my, my guess is Ryan Contreras will be in the opening day rotation. And then you'll, you'll go from there. So... Was the stuff with Luis Ortiz that we saw towards the end of 2022, was that real? Because it was, it was kind of, it was, he was almost unrecognizable to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll admit, like, I didn't follow him as much in the big leagues, so I can't speak to how he looked this year, you know, cause I don't, I don't do our pirates list, but no, I mean, I think if you've seen it in the past, you know, it's in there. Um, you know, I, I'll admit, you know, I, I was surprised he pitched 87 innings and he struck out. He walked almost as many guys as he struck out and got hit pretty hard. He just didn't look like the same guy. He got hit as hard as any starting pitcher in baseball. Yeah. It was, and, you know, and it was, was the worst going, hard contact rates in the league. Yeah. And he was, and he was, you know, falling behind in a lot of counts too. It wasn't like, oh, he was, you know, throwing strikes and getting hit. He was getting hit and he wasn't throwing strikes. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's in there. I mean, you, I, I so. I don't think 2022 was a mirage with Luis Ortiz. You, you know it's in there. It's just, you know, again, and, and I'm I'm generalizing because I don't I'm not his pitching coach. Like I don't know how much of it is, you know, Luis was trying to do too much. Like this happens a lot where guys get to big leagues and they're like, oh, it's the big leagues. I gotta throw harder. I gotta, I gotta be, you know, more pinpoint with my pitches. I gotta be perfect. I gotta snap off the breaking ball even harder. And it just messes up everything. And I don't know if speaking for Luis Ortiz, if that's what happened with him, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some of that at, at play. So I, I think the part, you know, the, the key's going to be, again, it, it's easier for me to say this, but the key's going to be let's, um, you know, just do what got you to the big leagues, do what worked so well in 2022, and that'll play. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, the Pirates, I mean, I know you're obviously fascinated by the Pirates, Connor, but, like, the Pirates are fascinating because they have all these guys who, a lot of them are the big leagues now, who were former top 100 prospects, who had some upside, you know, pitchers, hitters, and exactly 
how good are they going to be? And if these guys are as good, a lot of them are, are as good as we thought they might be, you could turn things around pretty quickly. You, you can go from you could do what the Reds did this year. You know, they didn't make the playoffs. You could do what the Cubs did. I, I don't think anybody's going to win 95 games and run away with the NL Central. So, like, it's going to be fascinating to see how all these guys play out. So moving on from the pitching for a moment, um, what did you make of Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis this year? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be those, – those guys are both talented. So, again, you know, guys, you know, it's tough breaking into the big leagues. And it, it, I think it's tough breaking into the big leagues. You know, Andy did more catching than Henry Davis, but as a catcher where you have a lot of responsibilities, it's not just go out there and, and play. I, I, I do – Going back, even though I do think Henry Davis was the best college bat in his draft, there were a lot of questions about his receiving ability. And when I saw him in the fall league last year, where I where I just got out here yesterday, I'm out here right now. But last year, he didn't look good as a receiver either. And, and you and like I thought Henry Davis had a good chance of winding up as a primary right fielder, um, which I think he'll do. Like, look, I mean, they both had their moments. They both struggled. They both probably struck out more than, than you think. And I just think that's part of the acclimation process of seeing how much better the competition is in the big leagues than double A and triple A and, and double A and triple A is pretty tough competition too. So I, I guess I, I'm battling here a little bit. I, I kind of feel the same way I felt about those guys going into 2023. I, I know they struggled, but they also showed some, they had their moments in the big leagues too. And I think, as they get more experienced and you get more talent around them, I think both those guys are going to be pretty good players. I think Henry Davis has a chance to be an all-star right fielder. And I think any Rodriguez has a chance to be, you know, pretty solid, you know, primary catcher. Um, and, and nothing's really changed in my mind about those two guys in that, in that, in that regard. So that's, what's weirded me out about this. Um, because a lot of people have been, a lot of people were obviously clamoring with, you know, the team, starting Austin Hedges uh, that Henry Davis was then called up and then they put him in right field. You know, why isn't Henry catching? Why isn't he catching? I don't think Henry's a good receiver. I think he's he's not having, having watched him. Cause I, cause the team gave, I think fans and the public at large, such a small opportunity to see him catch in the major leagues. It was like two innings. But in those two innings combined with like everything that I had seen from him in the minor leagues, I mean, it basically just reinforced that they kind of ran out of development time with him to yeah, work you know, on his catching. And it's, it's just interesting. It's, yeah, it's yeah, bizarre just... to me that they're insisting that he is going to come into spring training as a catcher because he has hands of stone. I mean, he has yeah. trouble catching pitches. Well, you know, guys said that even back at Louisville. Like I said, like he legitimately belonged at the top of that draft, but. And I mean, look, the Pirates got him. So the Pirates knew what they're getting. But like, I don't think, like, when you see a catcher go number one, I don't think people realized that how iffy his hands were um, behind the plate. And that was something that repeatedly everybody who I talked to, Kentucky's another one of my draft states, brought up. Um, but I, I don't fault the Pirates. Like, for two things. One, if you want somebody to feel, I think, it's, I, I think you're going to get more offense out of him. And I almost think when you have those guys who are drafted as catchers, and their offense is so far ahead of their defense. Two things are at play. One, like you just said, it's a development disconnect. Like the bat's ready to, like, let's see what it can do in the big leagues. 
and the catching's not. And so like, you're kind of stuck. Like, do we bring the bat up or do we leave the catching in the minor leagues? Like you can't, you know, this, this isn't, you know, it will be the show where I can like change some catching ratings and he's ready both ways. So that you have that. And two, I think if, if the offense is the primary driver for why you took him high in the draft and it was with Henry Davis, I want to get the most out of his offense. So I don't want him playing behind the plate and getting beat up. If he's at best going to be a 40, 45 catcher on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. So, but that said, I think that's being generous. Yeah, yeah, okay, which fine. I mean, I'm not trying to kill the guy. But what I was going to say is I don't have a problem with them coming to spring training saying we're going to catch him because you can see how it looks. Like, that doesn't mean he's their opening day catcher and he's going to catch 110 games. It's more we're not closing the door on catching. Let's see what it looks like. Um, You know, if you had a situation where, you know, you know, he's, I don't, I don't think, I, I still think he'd be better off being a primary right fielder and he's like more of an emergency third catcher. But if you have a situation where he's catching 40 games a year and then playing 100 games in right field in DH, you know, that maybe that works. But I, I do think he is going to be a right fielder going forward. But I, I still think he can be an all, I, I do think the bat's good enough that he can be an all star right fielder, which again, if you get an all star right fielder with your number one overall pick, that's that's fine and that arm will certainly play in right field yeah no yeah i mean it, that, and that's the thing i mean you and i know I mean, we, we, we study stuff closely like like if you just looked at the arm strength you'd be like oh man that's a great arm <laughs> it's a great arm but like the hard part is like and there's more metrics and data to kind of quantify it but he's not he's not a good receiver um and so I, to me or a good in the long run i'm with you connor I, I wouldn't really even mess around with the catching me, you know, maybe he's your emergency third catcher. I just want to get the most out of his bat. Let's go, let's get him hitting 280 with 25 homers and playing every day in right field uh, and not get beat up by catching. But it's still early enough in his career that let's see what it looks like in spring training and we'll go, we'll go from there. All right. I can see that side of it. Um, I think having Andy Rodriguez back there is kind of changes that. And it's why I, I if they didn't have Andy Rodriguez and it was, Okay, the the next catcher up is in your system is Carter Bins or Abraham Gutierrez. Those guys are both a ways off, and you know maybe don't have the best chance of becoming an everyday major league catcher. Okay, fine. You know let's let's see what Henry has. But with Andy Rodriguez back there, I just I don't see a reason to continue to put Henry because that's what you're because I don't mean to say this in a way like oh, this is an NFL, like you're putting this guy at risk, you know, but catching's yeah. hard. It's brutal. Yeah. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. All the advanced meetings for catchers, Henry was a part of that last year. And I felt that, you know, whether he felt that way or not, that it affected his bat. Well, yeah, it, he's it does. doing it all this time. work and not doing anything on the field with it. Yeah, you know, like you're doing physical, it's a physical and mental toll to, to catch too. And like the other thing, and we and we don't know, Con, I mean, it could be again, and I'm not saying this is the case, I'm just speculating. It could be that Henry Davis wants to catch. Like maybe he has he's like, I'm gonna show everybody I can catch, I can do this, I want to catch. He's a very strong willed guy. And so if you're the pirates, you're 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 saying this publicly, like, hey, he's gonna go spring train, we'll give him a chance to catch, see what he can do, et cetera, et cetera. You're saying that so um, you know, to, to kind of like make him happy. And it like, could be in the back of the mind to like, you know what? Andy's our catcher and Henry's our right fielder, but we're going to give him an opportunity to show what he can do in spring training. 
Like they, there can be some of that at play. I'm not as well. sure that they're placating Henry. Um, I, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Um, but my impressions of Henry from my conversations with everybody in the organization, um, John Baker Crab, was that above all else, Henry wants to win. Yeah, I think that's that fair. he is that he is extremely driven, and that there was a quote that stuck out to me from John Baker that. You know, they had to strap him down to a chair to stop him from playing 162 games. <laughs> yeah, you know, you get that. I, I think that's very fair. He he does have that a very strong makeup. And again, I, I was just speculating, but it could be that the Henry still wants to catch. It could be they don't want to close the door entirely, and they just want to see. But like, it, it's very like. Look, we both know teams do this all the time. You say one thing publicly, and you know, quietly, your plan right. might be different. So like, I, I think the fact that they're going to look at him and catch like it's spring training fine that doesn't necessarily mean that henry davis is going to catch 110 games for the pirates this year like i would bet that he doesn't and and so we'll see before we move on to you know the termar johnson elephant in the room um how about some time to address some guys that i think are kind of overlooked in the pirate system um how do you feel about sung shay chang you know I don't know him as well, you know, because I mean he's not like a top 100 guy. I mean he's interesting. I mean he's he's 22 now, you know, pretty solid year in Double A. I mean you gotta like a guy, you know, what was it like 46 extra base hits, 26 steals, hit 280, um, you know, decent amount of walks. Um, I think, you know, from a, a a tools perspective, I think the stats are maybe a little bit more impressive than the tools. Like I'd like him. I think he's more, and you know, this might be. I I think he probably to me is more of a utility, like more of a good utility yeah, a role guy. player. I'm trying to damn him with faint praise. I think he's more of a good utility guy than a guy I look at and say, oh, that's a that's a that's an above average, you know, starting middle infielder. But he 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 is super interesting. Um, like and, and it's like he can do a little bit of everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's interesting. And, and maybe a guy that's not, it's not, he's not overlooked in the pirate sphere, but I think he was certainly, honestly, I think he might've been overlooked in the pirate sphere. Jared Triolo. <laughs> yeah. I've always liked Jared Triolo. Like I, he's, I, I agree with you. Cause he was not, he was, was he a fourth round pick? Something like that? Third, fourth round. Third, pick. I, I think a third of, he was, he was one of Huntington's last picks. Right. And I do Texas. So I had him at the University of Houston. I knew who he was. And like, you know, get, look, he, he's not going to play third base when Cabrian Hayes is healthy. Who's but, imminently about to win the gold and maybe the platinum glove. Yeah. And, but like Jerry Triolo, like, is a, like, and I'm not saying he's as good as Cabrian Hayes. I'm not saying that. Right. But Jerry Triolo is a good defender. And, you know, I mean, pretty strong, you know, rookie season. Again, I mean, he's probably on a good team. He's probably more of an average regular than a guy who's like you're batting in the middle of your lineup. But I do think like, especially if he can hit for a little bit more power than he should in the big leagues. Like I think Jerry Torello could be like a, I don't know, like a 275, 15 homer, good defender at third base. And, and you're exactly right. Like he, he got overlooked just because, you know, there were bigger names, higher draft picks in the system. But like, I do think he's a legitimate big leaguer. Because that was the thing that stuck out to me the most was just, I know the strikeouts were kind of an issue um, in his major league playing time, 
Um, he struck out at about 30%. But I, I felt that he was relatively patient. Um, and he just hit so many line drives. It, it's absurd how many line drives the guy hits. Yeah, no, I mean, he squares it up. I mean, and you're right. I mean, he did strike out 30% clip, but he also walked at like a 12% clip. And I mean, again, that's just, you know, you can make some adjustments. I, I think... Like I said, like it, it's it, it's unfortunate for him because Cabrian Hayes is in Pittsburgh, but like I do think like Jerry Triolo has a chance to be like a decent regular at third base, um, and you know I don't know if he winds up getting traded or or, or what happens there, but yeah, it's like he they tried they, him they were trying him out at at second base and and some first base. I don't know if the bat profiles at first base. I think yeah, it was, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, like like is he quick enough for second? Like he's better. He's he's an above average third baseman. He's. Probably, I know he's tried some outfield in the minor leagues too. Yeah, and then, then it just comes down to like if he could play second, and you could get him to fifteen home runs. Okay, like that could work. But like if he's a first baseman or corner outfielder, I don't know if he's got that kind of power. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, he. I mean, there is something there with Jerry. I mean, it's interesting you brought him up because that was a guy. And Jonathan does a great job with the parts list. I'd always be like, I kind of like Jared Triola. And like he, he was on the list. I don't think he was ever super, super high until you know he, he got going toward the end, you know, before he got called up. But um I've always been a little bit of a Jerry Trillo fan. So just to touch on some guys like deep in the minors, um what do you make of Tony Blanco Jr.? Because I don't know if I've ever seen a guy who was that big that young. Um yeah, that's true. Like, because uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the only like even in the major leagues, I don't have many comparisons to guys who have a frame like his. No, you're right. I mean, six six two forty three is pretty typical. Like, it's hard to know what to make of him until he gets over to the U.S. I mean, he's played in the DSL. He, I don't know. He's intriguing. Like, I. I this isn't his fault, but I think of his dad. His dad did not have good plate discipline. And and I think Tony Jr. struck out at like a what 35% clip in the DSL. Um like 59 times. That's kind of the thing that I always worry about with, with Dominican League guys. Um, like the axial plazas, like the the Tony Blancos Jr. is are these stat lines just reflective of you being physically more mature than yeah, basically yeah, yeah. other children? Yeah, it basically, I'll be honest. I look at the DSL as like high school stats. I, the, the, the stats don't mean anything. Like, like, I like, like negative stats mean like if the Tony Blanco hit three thirty with fifteen home runs, I'd be like, great, it's the DSL. Now, the, the strikeout rate, like I said, that is a little scary. Um, you know, like because it's against DSL competition, and we'll see what he's like over here. I, I was just gonna say, you know, six foot six, naturally long sprint swing. A lot of hit and miss. I kind of like what have him in my mind is like a lottery ticket. Like I can't draw any conclusions until we see him against and even Florida complex league pitching. I mean, that's, that's not like those stats. That's also basically high school. Like it's like, yeah, maybe a step up, but like, yeah, like you can't read too much into it. So I, I think the jury is still out. The power is super intriguing. The swing and miss is kind of scary and it's just way too like, Intriguing, yes. Do I have any confidence to tell you what I think he's going to be? No, I do not. Like, the, but the strikeout rate scares me. The the size and the power are intriguing. 
just bouncing back to pitching a little bit, um, what do you make of David Matoma? Because they signed him out of Uganda, and he was – I, yeah, Uganda. And he was throwing, like, 91. And then all of a sudden, he comes over to the U.S., and he's hitting, like, 101. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to see – you know, more how that plays in game action. It's interesting. I, I mean, I, he, again, I'd file him under super intriguing guy. I did not know what to make of him, but yeah, that's, that's exciting when you see the guy's velocity jump up like that. Um, but yeah, just a guy I, I, I have not seen personally and I, and I don't know a ton about him, but, but intriguing for, for sure. So jumping to the main bat in the pirate system, um, Tamar Johnson. I've, I've got a lot of questions about this guy. I'm kind of enamored with him. But my main question is, were the scouts and evaluators wrong? Be- or is he a product of the Pirates development system that, you know, loves power, loves patience? Because he was labeled as a hit tool guy, but the hit tool didn't really show. And he had some strikeout issues um, at Bradenton. He, he, I think he curtailed that a little bit towards the end, but he also walked a lot, and there was way more power than I think some people expected. Yeah, I don't know about way more power. I, I don't know if I'll go there because he only had he had 18 homers, but only had 12 doubles. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you, Connor. I, I don't know what to make of Tremar Johnson exactly because, again, another guy who's in my area. I have Georgia in my area, and guys were saying, like, okay, this guy is the best high school hitter they've ever seen some guys yeah. said that best yeah. high school hitter we've literally ever seen and um i'm trying to think of what the comp i got from one guy was one guy said um yeah one guy called him <laughs> a combination of weight box plate discipline and vladimir guerrero senior's bat to ball skills so like that's like <laughs> that's pretty exciting stuff like you're like wow that's that, that's quite the guy so like you know best high school hitter guys i've ever seen great plate coverage great plate discipline um i think y'all like i had guys had plus power on him so i, I 18 homers this year i don't think we're out of character you know like i said he only had 12 doubles so that's kind of a little bit of a, a question but for a guy who's supposed to be the best high school hitter that some people have seen and like you know super advanced high school hitter like i don't read too much into the the, the, the pro debut coming out of the draft, but he hit 222 with 21 strikeouts in 23 games, you know, between, you know, the complex league and Bradenton. And then this year, you know, Bradenton and Greensboro kind of similar numbers at both levels. And he's striking out at like a, like 27, 28% clip. I mean, there are walks. He did hit 18 homers. I'll admit, like, I do not know what to think of it. I just, I'll put it this way. And he's played 128 games of pro ball, which is not a small sample size. And this guy who some people said, and it wasn't just like one crazy scout going out of the lane. A lot of guys are like, this guy's such a good hitter. Like guys are throwing 70s on the 28 scale out on his bat. You know, and some are saying he's the best high school hitter they've ever seen. He's hitting 240 <laughs> as a pro. Um, and yeah, he is drawing walks and he has hit some, some home runs, but he's also striking out at a high rate. I don't understand that. Like, like, you know, maybe it's, you know, he's walking a lot and maybe he's just working super deep counts. But again, I just feel like the best high school hitter people have seen 70 bat 
should be hitting more than 240 with a 28% strikeout rate. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what to make. Yeah, I don't know either. What what struck out to me in, in watching film of him was how well he uses his lower half. Because that's how that's where he generates his power out of that frame. Because he's his legs are like tree trunks, and he the weight transfer is just so good. And his he has an ability to get the barrel on the ball, you know, at, about as good as anybody. Um, and that's how he hits those. He hit a ball like four hundred and like seventy five feet this year, and he does it effortlessly too. Like. Like, like you're right. Cause it's like, I mean, it, like when I saw him as an amateur, like, and I, and I, again, I, I don't, I haven't borne down on him as much as a pro cause Jonathan does the pirate. So I haven't like, I'm not asking people inside out. Jonathan's our term, Johnson guy. So I haven't, I haven't asked a bunch of people like, why isn't he hitting more? I know I've, I've talked to people here and there about him, but he hasn't been a primary focus, but yeah, I mean, the swing is so good. The approach is so good. Like I fully bought in and like, I do think he's a very talented hitter. Like, like, I'll put it this way. It would not shock me, Connor, because I do think he's talented. He, you know, I think he's the first teenager to draw 100 walks in, like, 20 years or something, him and Jet Williams of the of the Mets were. But, you know, he's got an approach. Like, if we looked up and Termar Johnson hit 325 next year with 25 homers and 35 doubles, I'd be like, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but, like, what he's done so far is a little surprising, and it's weird. And I'm not saying I'm not in any way insinuating like oh the Pirates have done something because I don't think like they got Termar Johnson hey let's change your swing, but I think back to when they took Nick Gonzalez I don't know how you could <laughs> well no, yeah well you wouldn't and they didn't but what I'm saying and I'm so I'm not saying the Pirates or anything but like but what like what in fact my head nags me a little bit is Pirates took Nick Gonzalez really high in the draft and Nick Gonzalez led you know led the NCAA in hitting. One year, he led him in homers during the, the COVID year, which is obviously a short year. In between, he went to the Cape Cod League, wood bats, did great, um, all that stuff. And Nick has not torn it up in pro ball. Um, he's shown he's done it in spurts, and I've seen Nick look great in the fall league, like a couple times. Uh, you know, he's, he was out here a couple of years and looked really good. But, like, Nick Gonzalez is kind of – I don't know what to make of Nick Gonzalez right now either. Well, what what alarms me about Nick Gonzalez was that there were seemingly, as he progressed further into his minor league career, and as the off-speed and breaking stuff got better, he had trouble recognizing it. Yeah. That was my impressions of him, was that he was just totally guessing at what pitch he was going to be thrown next. Yeah, and it's weird to me, because like I said, I, I mean, the fall league is a hitter's league. By some out here two years in a row, and he hit really well out here. Um and, you know, I mean, this was a guy who had an advanced bat and I mean, look, it's like he faced, I mean, as much as you can as a college amateur, he went to Cape Cod league and he tore up the Cape Cod league with wood bats and seeing, you know, the pitching, you know, is good there as you're going to see in any kind of summer league. And he'd flash it, you know, he had some injuries in the minors and he he'd get off the slow start. And then he, he finished, if I remember correctly, I think he finished really strong in 2022 and they came out here and hit well in the fall league and then struggled this year. But yeah, it's, Termar Johnson, I I just have no I, I don't I don't have any idea what to make of that guy. I I, I, I should I'm say excited, any idea. I should say I, any idea, but I am confused. I if you I never would have thought Termar Johnson would hit 240 in his first year plus in Pro Bowl. 
Never would have thought that. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit. Um, where do you think the pirate system as a whole compares to the NL central? Um, yeah, I still think it's a deep. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of guys have graduated to, you know, to the big leagues. They aren't necessarily big league regulars, but you know, a lot of the guys we talked about, you know, like I think even in the last year, you know, a year ago, Randy Contreras and Quinn Priester and, uh, does Quinn, I can't remember. Does Quinn still count as a, like, I, I think Quinn went over on service he, time. I don't think he counts. Yeah, he, I think he graduated. Yeah, he went right to 50 innings, but I think he could well, say Priesters graduated last year. Contreras graduated in the last year. Ortiz, I think, graduated in the last year. You know, they've had a bunch of guys come up. Henry Davis graduated. Andy Rodriguez graduated. So their farm system lost a lot, but you still have schemes. You have Termar. You have all those pitchers we were talking about. So uh, comparing to the, to the NL Central as a whole, it's interesting because NL Central actually has really good farm system. So the, the, the Cubs are on the rise, and they've really increased their pitching depth and have some intriguing hitters. Um, the Reds graduate some guys to the big leagues like the Pirates and still have a, a good farm system. The Brewers, I think, probably have the most improved farm system, like, say, from the start of 2022, just in terms of how guys have developed and who they've added. You know, guys like Jacob Mizrowski and Tyler Black they have really made huge leaps. And they've got some depth. Um, so the Cardinals, the Cardinals are the fifth best farm system. I think you could argue the other four farm systems are all in the top 10 and certainly in the upper half of baseball. So um, <laughs> I guess you can look at that as glass half full, glass half empty. Um, I think the Pirates have a good farm system, but you could also, if you could make an argument, it's, the fourth best farm system in the NL Central. I, I think those top four are pretty close. Um, I'd probably have the Brewers and Cubs ahead, and then maybe the Pirates and Reds pretty equal. Um, but I still think it's a good farm system. It's just a lot of teams in NL Central have good farm systems right now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Of course, the Brewers have... Oh, hold on. Oh, yeah, okay. Of course, the Brewers have that Jackson guy. Yeah, is now career. is he the number one prospect in baseball? I haven't looked. I haven't checked. No, we, we we have well, well, we have the other Jackson guy, Jackson Holiday. Oh, one. Jackson but, Holiday, right? Our our top three guys right now are Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio, and Paul Skeens. How is obviously this is like a weird question to ask about a guy who's you know in the top three prospects in baseball, but just how good is Jackson Churio for people who are unfamiliar with him? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who who kind of popped on the scene in 2022. Like, he was international signing, you know, pretty, you know, 1.8 million. I mean, he was a dude, but, you know, he went to the DSL and was fine, you know, in his pro debut in 2021. Um, and then he came over, you know, he made, in, in 2022, his U.S. debut, he didn't go to the complex league. He, he went straight to single A out of spring training, played so well there, he went to high A. And actually got up to double A at the end of 2022 when he was 18 years old. 
and then went back to double A this year and got a taste of triple A. And I mean, I guess I'd say he, he I, I won't say he can do it all because I think his arm is kind of fringy, but I mean, 19 years old, it's plus hit, at least plus power, well above average speed, plus center fielder. He's like a, it's, it's kind of still like his breakout was similar to Ellie de la Cruz's with the Reds where Ellie de la Cruz did kind of broke out in 2021 out of nowhere. And he, and Ellie de la Cruz wasn't as a, a high money guy internationally as Jorio was, but he's not, as, he's like a more compact, less physical, I think kind of version of Ellie de la Cruz with probably better feel to hit. Um, so he's, <laughs> he's pretty ridiculous. Do the Cardinals have a talent recognition problem? Because I, I think there's been a lot of buzz about the guys that they've let go or traded. You know, Lane Thomas, Adelis Garcia, Zach Gallon, Sandy Alcantara. Do they just have an issue with knowing what they have, or are they too, or are they overzealous in their trades? I, I don't. I wouldn't say a talent recognition problem. Um, I, and I think. I don't know if I'd say overzealous. I think we have a team with the Cardinals who pretty much contend year after year after year for almost 20 years. You're constantly in, like, if you have a chance to win, we're going to go out and get guys. Um, now, like, sometimes when teams are like, oh, we're going to have to trade this guy, like it's an Aeronaut or a Paul Goldschmidt, you don't necessarily pay, you know, 100 cents on the dollar for those guys. But they're, they're all they, – they, they were in a cycle where for years trying to win, favorites in NL Central almost every year. So you're going out and trying to get talent. I mean, and I'm not making excuses for him. I don't think anybody knew what Adolis Garcia was. They waved him. The Rangers claimed him. The Rangers designated for a sign. Yeah, because anybody could have had Adolis Garcia. Yeah, and even the, the Rangers, like, didn't really. I know, like, to be honest, the Rangers will tell you this. I do our Rangers system. He only got a chance to play because they had a bunch of injuries. Like, they, had, they were trying to play Ronald Guzman, a first baseman. Out. They had so many outfield injuries. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, he's next man up, and he got off to a hot start right. as a rookie. And so I think, like, I, I can't blame him for that. Um, you know, Zach Gallen, I don't think anybody really saw Zach Gallen. I mean, Zach Gallen got traded twice. They weren't the only team that traded him. The Marlins traded him too. Um, you know, Alcantara, I'll admit, I thought Alcantara was a reliever. I didn't think he was going to throw enough strikes. Um, and he continued to get better. So, like, it's not like these guys were – where slam dunk, everybody was like, oh. It just like, didn't work out. Yeah, and, like, I think, right. like, you can look. You look at the teams that made the World Series, the Rangers and, and the Diamondbacks, and they made a bunch of good trades that worked out. For, like, Jonah Himes, another one. Like, Jonah Himes got traded a couple times before he became anything. And, like, nobody said, oh, Jonah Himes, an all-star catcher. Like, like I, I just, when you trade talent, you're going to make trades that look good, and you're going to make trades that look bad. And I think right now, you know, the Cardinals had a really disappointing year from their perspective. It's the first time in a long time they didn't really contend. And there's a lot of Cardinals tearing it up all over baseball. Um, and so, but like they were on a 20-year run where they also made a lot of trades that worked out in their favor. And they, you know, I mean, I, you know, they've, excuse me, brought Jordan Walker to the big leagues this year. Mason Wynn got to the big leagues this year. The, you know, they got more guys coming. Um so I, I don't think it's a – I don't think it's either necessarily either one of those things. I just think it was kind of a perfect storm of 
the Cardinals aren't looking good in a lot of areas right now in 2023. Like, like a lot of things went wrong and including a lot of their former trades didn't look as good <laughs> as maybe they did initially. So just to wrap up here with the pirates farm system moving forward, what are your expectations for this team? I mean, I do think it's a good farm system. I do think there's a lot of young talent there. You know, as we mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of teams with young talent in the National League Central, both in the majors and, and coming through the minors. Um, I do think sometimes those teams, like, can contend even quicker. Like, it's interesting because I don't think there's 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 a lot of teams with young talent in NL Central. And if you told me there's a scenario where a lot of the young talent suddenly pops at once and – the Pirates made an improbable run to the wild card even in 2024. I could see it if you told me, you know, like worst case scenario, you know, hey, pitching's very fickle and maybe the Pirates, not as many of these guys pan out as they hope and they're, they're, they're struggling to put that piece together. I, I, I still am optimistic about them because I think they have too many they – have, they have so much pitching depth that they're going to find pitching. And I do think some of their young hitters will take steps forward. Um, you know, 2025 is probably more realistic than 2024. I, I kind of look at 2024 as a let's figure out exactly what we have and, and kind of position ourselves for 2025. I have a lot of respect. I think Ben Charrington's a, a good GM. Um, I've, I've liked his track record in the past. And, you know, he's a guy who he was a farm director for a while. He knows the value uh, of young talent. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there's, there's going to be some patience required, but I still think there's enough pieces there that even with the natural attrition of prospects and especially pitching prospects, um, they're gonna, they're gonna have, I, I think there's enough talent there that they, they should be able to put something together. Cause, cause my gripe is, you know, I wanted what you see 2024 as I wanted that to be 2023. And it might be 2025. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. There's, no, a, there's right. just yeah. a lot of well, directions this could go. You knew what, what threw them off, I think, is by getting off to a hot start. And then you're kind of like, they weren't going out like, oh, we're going to trade Henry Davis and, and you know, right. upgrade our pitching staff. But like you get off to a hot start. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we might have something here. So then you shift from like, oh, it's a purely, you know, it's a mostly developmental year. And we're trying to answer questions to like, okay. Like, what's the best team we could put on the field at this moment? You know, it's like different goals. And then they went in the other direction. But, yeah, it's I, – like I said, I think some, there's going to be some patience required. I do think the positive is, while there is a lot of young talent and some promising farm systems in NL Central, there's not a juggernaut where you're like, oh, man, that team's going to win 95 to 100. Like, you're not in a division with, say, the Orioles, you know, where you have all this young talent and they want 100 games. You're like, man, that's going to be tough to compete with. I do think the NL Central is wide open for the near future. And, you know, again, I, there's, there's four teams kind of in a similar boat to the pirates, you know, in terms of young talent and they all had more success in the big leagues last year. So there's still some work to be done, but, but I do think there's, there's reasons for to, to be optimistic. And, and with the team's messaging um, leading into the end of the season and now this off season um, and even from the players, um, obviously the players won't, tell you anything but that they were so out the players won't tell you anything differently i should say um is that the young guys were so outspoken about we are going to compete 
in 2024. And, and, the, team is, and the team has mentioned, you know, that they're going to examine trades, that they're going to examine free agency, maybe a little more than they have previously. You know, maybe they won't settle for Rich Hill. Maybe they'll go get Jack Flaherty, you know, those yeah. kinds of, because obviously they're not going to go get, Shohei. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, they're not gonna well Shohei's <laughs> Shohei's out of the question. Um, but e- even with guys that like say um Imanaga, you know, they yeah. can't get into a bidding war with another team for Imanaga. Yeah, or Aaron Nola, like Aaron Nola's Aaron, playoff. Aaron Nola. I know some people have, have thrown around, you know, we should go get Imanaga, we should go get Yamamoto. Those guys are are gonna get way more than the pirates can afford. And oh, yeah. the reality is, is that the posting fees on top of that would scare them away anyways, because yeah. Yamamoto is going to get like a $180 million contract. Yeah. You those know, guys aren't going to be cheap. And so that's going to end up being with posting fees. Cause that's going to be a $30 million posting fee that needs to be paid up front. Yeah. So, so you're going to basically be paying Yamamoto $50 million for his services in, in 2024, unless you work out something where he gets, you know, paid less the first year to, to help, offset the cost of the posting fee but, but just I, I kind of i'm kind of babbling here but to digress those guys aren't coming to pittsburgh but somebody right. like jack flaherty somebody maybe like you know not that i would be happy with these guys but you know in innings eater like kyle gibson martin perez you know those guys are possible you know those guys yeah. are super doable you know maybe even a rebound type like luis severino yeah i mean we'll see it'll be interesting to see how they they put it together all right. Well, Jim, thank you for joining me. Where can we find your stuff? Um, mostly at, at MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, um, the MLB Pipeline area of MLB.com. I tweet every time we do, like, I do something. I tweet a lot of stuff we do at, at my Twitter handle, or I guess it's X now, um, at Jim Callis MLB. And, and the plug I always give is, nice thing I think about our site is it's all free. Nothing's behind a paywall. All the scouting reports, all the grades, all the videos, all the stories. All of it's 100% accessible. I mean, obviously, we work for MLB.com. They want fans to read about prospects, know about prospects. Um, so it, none of it's behind a paywall. You can read all our stuff and, and check it out. You know, Jonathan does a great job with our Pirates Top 30. Um, and we have that type of coverage for our team. We'll have a new draft list coming out, draft top 100 in December, about a month from now. Um, I was going to ask off time ahead where the pirates are picking, but with the draft lottery. So we don't know what the pirates. Yeah. Are yeah. I think they have like league. a 3% chance to get the number one overall pick. Yeah. You just never, you just never know. So I guess that'll be at the draft lottery. will be at the winter meetings also. So in a month or so, we'll know where they're, where that pick, but like worked out for him this year. Um, yeah, sure did. One pick. So, and we'll just to touch on that a little bit before we, before we head out. Um, what do you make of this year's upcoming draft class? It's okay. It's not, you don't have, like, there's no clear cut number one guy. I do think there's some depth on the college side. The high school side's a little bit lighter than usual. It wouldn't shock me if 20 or 22 of the first 25 picks were college players or, you know, hitters or pitchers, collegiate prospects. Um, I think that it's, if, if I was putting a, a number on it, like on the 28 scouting scale, 45 right now like there's a lot of college hitters and there's college pitching depth too but interestingly I, I think i just did a college top 20 list and i think four of the top eight players on that list are probably when they get to the big leagues first baseman which is kind of unusual <laughs> um there, there, there's 
there's college bats. There's not a lot of college up the middle players. Um, and there's college pitchers, but there's no Paul Skeens. I don't think there's even, I mean, you're not going to Paul Skeens, but I don't think there's even like a Rhett Louder who I think is going to get to big leagues real quick. Like there's, there's, there's good pitching depth, but there's not that, oh man, that guy's like a, a flat out ace, can't miss, going to be in the big leagues in a year type of thing. Um, so I'd say the college crop is probably average and the high school crop is below average. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. You can find me on Twitter at wins underscore Williams um, or at, you know, bucksdugout.com. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jim. No, this was fun, Connor. Uh, Peace.